Hi, my name is Ed Kozell, and welcome to Conversations with Calistoga, a periodic set of podcasts covering events, topics, and people relevant to our community. Topography, geography, and economics leave our town a bit isolated, so hopefully this series will add some color to our landscape and substance to some of our discussions. The hope is that this series takes form and critical mass over the next months and weaves itself into the fabric of our extended community. I'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and comments. Send them to Calistoga Conversations, one word, at gmail.com. Again, that's Calistoga Conversations at gmail.com. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, and I'm here with Paul Ingalls. Paul is a, a longtime resident of Calistoga. He actually grew up in town, and uh, many people might know him uh, in recent years as a senior executive at the Press Democrat over in Santa Rosa. However, in his younger days, Paul had a more storied uh, history, and we're here today to talk about Calistoga's uh, famous horrible parade. In talking with uh, Gary Krause the other day, he said that when he came to town, the motto of the town was keep Calistoga funky. Today, it is no longer that. It's keep it rural. But uh, uh, at the time, funky seemed to, uh, to, to describe best the horrible parade. Paul, good afternoon. Well, good afternoon. So tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, where, were you born in Calistoga? I was born in Calistoga. My dad was born in Calistoga and my Grandparents and great-grandparents uh, are buried in Pioneer Cemetery, so the family goes back a long ways. Ha uh, ha! I didn't realize you went back that far. Yeah. So, eighteen sixties, eighty eighties, or something. My, like my that. My grandmother was born in eighteen eighty three out in the Mark West area between Santa Rosa and, and Calistoga, and then they moved in town at some point. And my dad was born here in nineteen ten, and yeah. Where, where did you live uh, in Calistoga as a child? Well, we started uh, off living at my grandparents' house, which is now the Craftsman Inn at the head of town. Mm -hmm. And then we moved over to Grant Street uh, when I was about five years old. And, and that's where I was stuck until I went away to college. So a lot of people that live on Grant now um, feel it's a bit arterial. Just to make them feel worse, tell us what Grant Street was like back in the day. Well, I don't think I'll make them feel worse. It was pretty much the, the way it is today. I mean, uh, there was a many years where my mother wouldn't let me ride my bike down Grant Street because the traffic was too fast and there was no sidewalks. And so, yeah, it's pretty much so what it is today is what it was then. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it, and. Was it mostly just traffic headed for Lake County, or I mean, why, what was the traffic? You know, that's a good question. I don't don't really know. Uh, mm -hmm. It, uh, I suppose, it was uh, viewed as a shortcut from somewhere to somewhere, and it, really, there was no no traffic enforcement, uh, mm -hmm. and so people traveled fast, and uh, yeah. Because oh, I know you lived out on Grant temporarily uh, while your new home was being built. Yeah. So it must have felt uh, a, a bit like a, a trip to the past. About 100 yards from uh, the place I grew up. Yep. <laughs> oh. So what was life as a child like in Calistoga? Well, Calistoga was even smaller than it is now. It was about 1,500 people. And um, everyone knew everyone. Uh and, uh, you know, as a kid, uh, you had a lot of freedom, but you didn't get away with much because everybody in town knew you and your parents. So 
as I say, you had a lot of freedom to go and do what you wanted, but you better not get caught. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that that didn't really prevent you from trying. <laughs> That's uh, yes, uh, sadly true. Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, let's let's start by talking about what the the fairgrounds or the the annual celebration events were like in Calistoga. Oh my God! Well, you know the the fair was you know I I, I think people have kind of uh, said con- contemporary people have said that the fair was a big deal. It, it's so true. It was the big deal, especially when you were a kid. The carnival. It, that, that was the entertainment that that we had during the summer. Um, the the uh, sprint car races were always held. Uh, it, it was uh, a an interlude of entertainment amid three months of um, not much activity. You know? mm-hmm. So especially as kids, but I think for adults as well. You know, it was a it was a very big deal. And the and the parade of the annual was it always around the Fourth of July? Uh, well, uh, the horrible parade was always the night before the Silverado parade, so yeah, it was always around the Fourth of July. Okay, yeah. and and the horrible parade does that predate the Silverado parade? No, no, no. The the horrible parade started in 1949 and went until 1952. And then there was a five-year hiatus, and it started up again in 57 and went through 64. Uh, so it's about a dozen years was the lifespan of the horrible parade. And the, the, the official parade, the Silverado Parade, uh, that had some sponsorship and some support from the, the fair association or the town. Exactly. One way or another. Exactly. And the horrible parade, was that official in any way? Well, it was official you know we did a lot of research for this film and we were never really quite able to nail down the genesis uh, of the horrible parade it appears to have come out of the volunteer fire department and we thought maybe it was a fundraiser for the fire department but i I don't think it was that i think it was simply a um a way that the firefighters thought we can Additionally, punch up the tourist attraction uh, in town, and they were kind of doing it uh, as a um, community booster boosterism. Uh, so that appears to be how it got its start. Now, the film you're alluding to is is the film that the Sharpstein Museum um, sells as a DVD, and it has a lot of imagery and a, a bit of film from from the uh, back in the day of the Horrible Parade, right? It, it, exactly, yeah. Nick Trillia and I made that film. Um, Nick and I go back to kindergarten, and uh, when I retired, uh, we were yakking, and he had a bunch of photos, and one thing led to the next, and we just made this film. I mean, we'd never done anything like that. And it was just a, a fun project and uh, turned out to be kind of bigger and more work than we, we thought it would be. But that's that's how the film was made. And we get, and we presented it to the Sharpstein uh, Museum and then they sold copies. And I think, I think it's sold out right now, but uh, there was some discussion about printing some more, burning some more. So, How old were you when, in your memories of the Horrible Parade, yeah. Well, I remember the horrible parade in the abstract. 
uh, when I was maybe six or seven years old. The first iteration of it, I was born in 51. The first Horrible Parade is 49. And in its first um, segment, I was only one year old when that first segment ended. So uh, by 57, I was six years old. And then late in, in that second run, uh, I think we were like 13 years old. And uh, a bunch of us got together and entered a float. And um, so, you know, my in some ways, my memories of the Horrible Parade are fuzzy. But there are certain things that are burned into my memory because they were memorable, to say the least. Well, well let's share some of those memorable, uh, 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 burned-in memories. Well, you know, the, the horrible parade, it, everybody thinks of the kind of gruesome um, and politically incorrect floats that were entries in the parade— and God knows there were a ton of those. Most of the parade was really kind of benign. You know, there was marching bands. But, but for instance, the Native Sons of the Golden West had a, a real live marching band, you know, with real instruments and they could play. So they'd come up for the, uh, the Silverado Parade. But the night before, they'd play in the Horrible Parade. But when they played in the Horrible Parade, they donned goofy costumes. And and, and so, you know, there, there were a lot of um, lot of floats and entries that were silly and funny and benign, but then there were the others, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, people will tell you to this day, people who were around, about, uh, for instance, the Table of Blood, and the table of blood was um, on the back of a flatbed truck. And they had a surgeon doing surgery on a patient who, of course, was screaming while the surgery was taking place. And the surgeon was pulling entrails out, which were really sausages, and throwing them out the back, off the back of the truck. And behind the truck, they had one, one of the guys had two dogs. And, of course... That when the dog saw the sausages, you know, they, they were on top of the sausages. And, and people will always remember uh, that. Uh, you know, uh, keep going. Uh, oh, please. Uh, please. Okay. Um, Cy Simic was the uh, undertaker in town, and he, he always had, uh, he had a horse-drawn hearse. And uh, so you, you'd always have the horse-drawn hearse with the corpse in it. And at some point, the corpse would pop up and wave at people. And, you know, there was, um, uh, let's see, I'm going to refer to my notes here to remember which uh, other ones. Ah, Death Rides the Highway. <laughs> Death Rides the Highway was kind of an interestingly anti-drinking and driving kind of float with dead people around a wrecked car and the Grim Reaper there and beer, empty beer cans all over. Well, some empty and some full, right? So it delivered that message, but in typical horrible parade fashion, every once in a while, one of the corpses would pop and, and, and drink part of the beer and then, then go back down. 
It, it was that kind of stuff, that kind of uh, just irreverence that really made the horrible parade, you know, mm -hmm. something special. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there were, you know, there are a lot of hijinks involved in the horrible parade. You know, I don't want to go on too long, but uh, Calistoga in those days, as I said, was very rural, very small. And you have to remember, this is 1949 was the start Television wasn't really even available until 1947. Nobody had a television. People had radios. They listened to the radio. But most of the, the entertainment was homegrown and social. And so people were really active socially, which usually in, involved the imbibing of some kind of spirits. And they'd get together and they'd cook up these crazy ideas, you know. Um, you know, uh there was a, again, there was a lot of them that were kind of not gruesome, but on the edge a little bit. There were two guys in town. One of the, the Reeder family owned uh, a creamery where um, Pacifico restaurant is right now. And the Readers were big guys and soft. <laughs> so when you saw one of the Readers on horseback at the horrible parade as Lady Godiva, <laughs> This was a matter of some humor, you know. There was another guy. John Cavallari was a building contractor. And all the years I grew up, I never heard anybody refer to John Cavallari as anything other than Big John. Big John Cavallari was a mountain, right? And for whatever reason, they'd he'd often do a float where he was taking a bath. And again, just the, the juxtaposition of, John in this bathtub, you know, was, uh, yeah, people liked it. Huh. Um, I've got other stories. Well, now, now let, let me ask you, you entered a float yourself. Oh, yeah. Was, was it uh, horrible? Did you try and make it horrible? No, no. You know, we were like 13 years old and, and the movie Cleopatra had just come out. And somehow we got the idea that we'd uh, be Cleopatra entering Calistoga on a litter, you know. And so... <laughs> We found, an, I think, a piece of a fence, and that became the litter. And, you know, it was, it was typically um, rustic. Low and, budget. Yes, low budget. And uh, uh, it reflected both the time and the age of the participants. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd love to hear some of the, the other stories that you have about the, the, the well, floats. One of the things that... You know, people keep telling us or kept telling us is the kind of miscues that happened. Uh, because as I say, all, all this was seat of the pants, right? It, 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 it was, um, yeah, homegrown. Um, there was one float uh, called On Top of Old Smokey. And it's a little unclear exactly what the float did, but it it was a an old log cabin, and uh, with the surrounding decoration, and and the, there was smoke coming out either out of the windows or something. And, and this there there was some kind of smoke generating thing happening inside, probably a real fire, right? And at one point, then the guy inside was supposed to be, I think, chased out of the house because of the fire. And he comes up through the chimney, right? 
Well, predictably, the thing catches on fire, right? And, of course, the thing that, that made it so golden was that the float was the entry of the Calistoga Fire Department. <laughs> Mercifully, they had a fire extinguisher. They put the thing out. And they, there was another float. Who knows what it was named? But it was uh, like an Appalachian kind of scene. And they had a still and, and a couple of guys with shotguns, right? And I guess they were raccoon hunting. That was the deal. And they had a couple of dogs. And then they had this uh, dead snag, a tr- you know, a tree. And up in the top of the tree were two live raccoons. They were chained. They had a collar and chain, but they're up there, right? So now the, the, the float comes down the street and of course, these floats typically stop before the, the, the judging stand. They stop. But what they forgot to contemplate is that there was a, a wire going across the street with flags. And, well, the <laughs> first time the, the raccoons see that, they're out of there, right? And they're on the flags and on the wire. I don't know. You know, we never found out exactly how long it took them to to get the, the raccoons back under control. But, I mean, you, you have to assume that, that that was a good show for the, the crowd. You know, um, yeah, you know there was just uh, uh, a bunch of stuff, you know. Um, there, was, there was a classic float that people will tell you about, again, to this day. And it was called the Deer Hunters. And back in the day, theoretically, at least, I never saw it. But theoretically, guys would go out deer hunting in a, not with a truck, but they'd take a sedan or something. They kill a deer. They needed to transport the deer back, and they'd, they'd rope it, strap it to the fender of the car, right? So it was a familiar paradigm to everybody. Well, this float had... The three or four hunters, three hunters, I guess, strapped to the fenders of the car, and the deer are driving the the convertible, right? So the driver was a guy named Shorty Higgins, who everybody knew in town. And uh, so Shorty was drinking beer while he was driving this car, somehow with the deer head on. Never figured that out. But he finishes the beer takes the empty and chucks it out the car. Meanwhile, Ken Hively, who's the chief of police, is walking, doing whatever he's doing, and gets hit by the empty beer can. I don't think Shorty intended it, because I don't think, I don't know how I could even see, but, um, you know, Ken Hively was was a smart class guy and, and, and with a firm grasp on what was important and what wasn't, and being concerned about somebody drinking a beer and throwing it out in the middle of a parade was not something he was going to react to. But, you know, it's just another one of those things. You know, it's just a ton of them, you know. There's a gentleman named Ray Sittig who, um, when we did the film, was living in Calistoga. He was from Napa, and he was with that um, uh, Native Sons um, marching band. And apparently... One on one of the occasions where they 
marched in the Horrible Parade, they decided to go and drag, which, by the way, was a big deal in the Horrible Parade. I, they, for, I don't know, different time, I guess, you know. But, and, of course, part of that was heavy lipstick. Well, these guys get out there, and now they're trying to play these instruments. And he said there was lipstick from head to toe, and they couldn't play. And it was, you know, it, so, it, yeah, there were a lot of miscalculations that turned out to be entertaining in the, in the Horrible Parade. It, it was always an evening parade, wasn't it? Yep, yep, yeah. And and so how did the people in town uh, take the horrible parade, of, you know, versus the more staid Silverado parade? Well, they loved it um, in general. Uh-huh. Uh, and in fact, it, uh, I would say it probably rivaled the uh, tractor parade, the lighted tractor parade, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of drawing people from outside. Um, but towards the end of its first run, there was, there were some letters to the editor, uh, saying, you know, this, some of the more gruesome, um, floats are really beneath us and, and the volunteer fire department, the, the, the letter writer was fairly strident and the uh, volunteer fire department fired back with a letter and then the two sides got together and I kind of reached some kind of a unhappy truce. Um, but the effect of it was that that was 52. And then in 53, okay, entries are now, you can now enter your floats and very close to the deadline, they had 10 entries, which was half of what they figured they needed and they ended up canceling it. So you know, and, and some of the floats were pretty gruesome. You know, I we found the names of a number of floats that we never found photographs of. But, you know, one of them was the Spanish Inquisition. So you can pretty much, you know, <laughs> figure what that one was, right? And there was another one called Bucket of Blood. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> I remember... I think. I mean, I was a little kid. But I believe I remember a guillotine float. And I remember it because it scared the crap out of me, you know. And so I think, you know, <laughs> listen, it, as you well know, it, if you ask people to be creative, they're going to push the limits. And they did, and maybe they got too far out. So, you know, that's what, what happened. It, after an absence, though, it came back for a second run. I mean, there must have been some sort of popular demand. Oh, yeah. You know, people uh, love the horrible parade, as I say. Uh, I've run people in Napa, and one thing leads to another. And they go, oh, I remember, do they still have that horrible parade? No, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, people loved it. Mm-hmm. The, the parts of it they loved, they really loved. And in, in general, it was, you know, really... Mm-hmm. High entertainment, you know. Has there ever been any movement to bring it back? Well, my buddy Nick Trilly, by the way, and I, I, I need to to throw his name around a little bit uh, today. Um, we couldn't have made the film without uh, Nick because he was really the guy who knew the people and uh, had the contacts and set up the interviews and that kind of thing. So, um, uh, God, what was the question? I'm sorry. I forgot. Well, I, I, has there been any movement to, to oh, bring it back? They put a float in the Silverado Parade, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 
more than that, 20 years ago, that was like, remember the horrible parade. And it reenacted some of the, the famous floats. Mm-hmm. And uh, But other than that, you know, I don't think you'd get away with it um, these mm-hmm. days because it was – it was politically incorrect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sonia Spencer is a, a, a woman who grew up in Calistoga, and we interviewed Sonia, among many other people. And uh, she described the horrible parade as being, oh, I didn't put it down. She, she called it insensitive, bigoted, and racist. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and, and then she went on to kind of ameliorate that. And at the end, she said, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so I, I don't think it would fly these days. There, uh. there was one, there was one float with um, cannibals cooking someone in a huge pot, right? And of course, the cannibals were in blackface. You know, uh. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. It, yeah. it wasn't hardcore, uh-huh. but it was um, insensitive, right. shall we say? Right, 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 right. Hmm. Yeah, although I. It would be interesting to see somebody uh, put a, as you say, a, a, a horrible float into the main Silverado parade. Yeah, yeah. And well, try and and remind people of the funky uh, character of the town. Well, this was funky. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I got to tell you about another float. What's really a float? I don't remember this, but a guy named Jack Smith, who again an old timer, he swears this was true. It's called The Golfer. And The Golfer was just a guy in his plus fours and little old-fashioned golf hat and the, and the golf shoes with what are called kilties, you know, the yeah. flaps on them. And he had some kind of a makeshift tee. And he apparently had a bag of dried road apples. <laughs> and he would tee them up and whack them with a the driver. Well... Mercifully, they were dry. And when he hit them, they just powdered. And uh, so that, that was another one that people or that Jack said was just a big hit. I, we never heard anybody else uh, talk about that. And then there was another one. Uh, it was called something uh, Christmas in Calistoga. And the, the, the sign on the side of the, the float said, Christmas twice a year. What could be more horrible? And Santa, you know, it's Santa Claus there, right? And uh, Santa, the float would come down there, and people would boo Santa Claus. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like that that was um, more benign than the really gruesome stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was kind of an endless um, reservoir of crazy ideas and hijinks. You know? So how did that? experience affect you as you grew up into a more benign and stayed, uh, you know, career? Did any of that stay with you in various ways? You know, I got to tell you, growing up in Calistoga is an experience I wouldn't trade for the world, truly. I I mean, it it was Mayberry. I mean, at least for me, it was, you know, people had their Norman normal human problems. There was unhappiness and uh, poverty and all the bad things. But for me as a kid, um, 
it, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And um, being able to kind of express your creativity easily, really, uh, was, yeah, I, I don't know to what extent that, that influenced me later on, but I'm here to tell you that when I retired, I came back to Calistoga and that wasn't an accident, you know, so. Oh, so I'd, I'd like to hear how you're expressing your creativity now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a ready answer for you on that one. Well, we've well no, wait, no, no, that's not true. Yeah, I've got a couple of hot rods I, I, I keep uh, learning how to to do stuff with, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I've, got, uh, I've got a 56 Fairlane, which is really the car and you kind of make s small modifications, but I got, I've got a 27 uh, model T coupe that I basically built the whole thing. Right. And so, you know, I, I you could always come up with just creative stuff to do, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, radiator overflow flow tank is uh, a, a cocktail shaker and the, you know, the, it's just stuff like yeah. that, you oh, know. So some of it stayed with you then, the, the, the earlier uh, I, Well, I, I tell you what, it's that kind of sense of irreverence that the horrible parade kind of exemplified, I think. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was meant to contrast itself against the, the, the Silverado parade. The, yeah. The official, but I, more I, I, I guess. Organized. I don't know if it was that well thought out. Mm -hmm. You know, I almost think it was a, a, a matter of a bunch of guys getting together and go, oh, I got an idea. Mm -hmm. And somebody else saying, you can't do that. And then the, everybody goes, yes, we can. And, yeah. you know, yeah. here you go. Yeah, that, the horrible parade there was a lot of this wacky stuff that even surrounded the horrible parade. They, they had prior to the parade and to the 4th of July, uh, fair, they had what they called the Whiskerino and the Whiskerino again, came out of the fire department and all the men were supposed to grow beards. And then you had a beard judging contest. And, but if you didn't grow a beard, you were supposed to be arrested, right? And put in the who's gal, which was a cage, you know, downtown. And so the the guy that was arrested for not having a beard sat in the who's gal for X number of minutes or hours, whatever. And the idea was people came in and, and contributed to his bail. So they would raise money and that money was used to pay for prizes to the winners of the horrible parade. But of course that thing went on for days or oh, maybe weeks. I don't know. I don't remember before the horrible parade. And it was all part of building up to the 4th of July fair and the horrible parade and the, you know, the whole sense of community, you know, mm -hmm. fun and frolic. Yeah. Did you have friends in the VFD? The volunteer fire department. Well, th that was way be uh, before my time, but Nick Trillia's dad, Al, mm -hmm. uh, Al owned a bar downtown, uh, where Brandon's now is. And in fact, by the way, the, the bar, the big, long, beautiful mahogany, I guess it's a mahogany bar that 
was in Brandon's was the bar from the Silverado uh, bar, which Nick Nick's dad owned. Um, but Al Trillia was um, may have been the the chief of the the volunteer fire department. I don't know, but he was he was super active in it. And I think Nick and I both believe he was the guy who came up with the horrible parade idea. Uh, but you know, again, all the guys we we got photographs uh, of some of these sayings and and Nick was able to identify a lot of the guys and I, I I knew all these guys when I was growing up they were much older obviously but but you know uh small town that's great do do you think that that you know some degree of 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 that type of character can come back into a town or was that just a the right moment at the right time you know, I think Calistoga retains a, a a bit of that. Um, in the Valley, I view, at least in my view, Calistoga is still the, the very friendly, um, a little blue collar. Um, you know, it's changing as the, that that happens, but I think it it retains the patina of. Uh, of that, but you know, there are people. I guess this is where I express a political opinion. There are people who really um, bemoan the fact that Calistoga has changed. But come on, you know, when I was growing up, my mother would go to Ding's Food Center, which was on the whatever that is, the north side of Lincoln Avenue, to buy dry goods, can whatever. Then she'd go across the street to Butler Brothers Butcher Shop and buy her meat. And then she'd go out to uh, Louis Crevea's fruit stand out uh, where uh, Lake Street uh, and the trail and the highway come together and buy her vegetables. Um, Yeah, very quaint. Worked then. But is that what you really want to do in in 2022? You know, I I don't think people really want to do that. Mm. So, yeah, times have got to change, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Well, Paul, uh, I want to thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Is there anything you'd like to say before we uh, hang up the microphone and move on? There is one thing I would like to say. I would like to thank you, Ed Cazell, for doing this. And uh, I say that not because you've interviewed me, but because I've listened to some of your other podcasts and the kind of community-minded spirit uh, brought together with a, what I would call a a journalistically professional approach, which is to say not bringing a point of view and not trying to advance any kind of, grind any kind of political acts uh, is a great benefit to the community. So thank you very much for doing that. That's very kind of you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. And uh, I wish you a good day. Thank you. You too. All right.